Good evening, fellow inertial observers. Tonight we make physics after hours history. I am here with the man who really needs no introduction, but this is my show, so I'm going to do it anyways. He's a 2015 Stanford graduate in mathematics, and at 3 million subscribers, 145 million views later, one could make the argument that he's put it to good use. He is without a doubt the most famous educational YouTuber with sectoral heterochromia. He puts... <laughs> He, Sorry, go on. <laughs> he, he puts the fun in function and to many is a lifesaver. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Grant Sanderson. Thanks for having me on, man. This should be fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so just to get the ball rolling, um, why don't you just kind of tell us a little bit about Grant Sanderson, the human the human oh i don't i mean honestly i feel like this goes for just about any youtuber that you find out there yeah. if you think that what you're watching is like a different caricature or a different persona okay. more almost always you're just watching the person as they are like grant i'm just uh i just am a math nerd who uh gets pretty enthusiastic about this stuff and rather than like waving my wow. hands at my friends trying to ask them to visualize something that i th think is cool it turned out that a better use of that was to actually like illustrate the things and then share it with others who might be more interested in it <laughs> so, so is that how it started is that how it all started is you were trying to visualize something tell it to one of your friends and you were like you know what i'm gonna go ahead and write my own graphics library and show it to you well no, so okay actually how it started it's like i um so i was majoring in math i still loved computer science and was sort of um i'd only started coding when i was in college but when you're a math nerd and you start to learn coding you get kind of hooked because it's just the same part of the brain yeah, yeah. but i've been doing a lot more math so i was I was just itching to have some kind of coding project because I just hadn't really been doing anything in a while. And I just thought it would be a fun personal project to make like my own little graphics library. Not, I mean, if, if the goal was going to be, let's start like an educational YouTube channel, let's make um, like really nice math visualizations. I probably would have built it on top of Mathematica or something like oh, that. Oh, interesting. But the goal, yeah, I mean, the goal was just like, hey, I want to make a thing that's mine. Yeah. Um, and as a notion of, okay, have I actually followed through with this weird personal project? I'll yeah. make like a, a video lecture with it and post that online somewhere. Um, so it was really like a hobbyist project of doing something from the ground up that had as a little outcropping a video lecture rather than like, I want to start a YouTube channel. What's the, what's the most sensible way that I could go about the like uh, visual production of this YouTube channel? Right. Um, and so like its birth is very much intertwined with that of like Manum, the tool, Mm -hmm. Um, and, and like cru crucial to understanding that I think is that, uh, like for most of its existence to include to a large extent today, it's just kind of a lousy tool. That's a function of someone who's not really a software engineer, <laughs> just has this little hobbyist project of like wanting to build something from the ground up. Um, well, it's actually quite and, good on the LaTeX to be honest. I mean, like there's not, like, I actually had that same idea when I was sitting and I was trying to think of a way because I was tired of just tweeting some latex screenshot. I was like, wouldn't it be cool, you know, if I just like uh, animated the latex in a way that kind of mimicked handwriting. And then I was like, wait, Grant's stuff is open source. So let me try that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So it, like over the years, it slowly dawned on me that evidently it's a tool that some people want to use, right? <laughs> uh, much against the like warnings that I'll give. And it has gotten much better. In yeah. recent months, it's gotten definitely to from something I'm slightly embarrassed by to something I'm like not as embarrassed by. <laughs> but evidently the, the selling point for a lot of people was like LaTeX animation stuff, mm -hmm. which, because basically earlier on, obviously I want math 
stuff on the screen, I was sort of in this mindset of, for the sake of developing the tool, I'm just going to say all of the things that I illustrate will be through this. So even if it's inefficient, I'll like build out the functionality that I need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I had kind of a hacky way of getting LaTeX into the system where it basically just renders the PDF based on your system's LaTeX command. Oh, it like yeah. shells out to that. And then it reads <laughs> the data from the PDF to like have it in its own form, which is why it's very slow to like write it the first time before it caches it. In yeah, I've noticed that. Is that at all? Yeah, so it's like... Su- um, as, as opposed to if you're, you know, if you're using, um, let's take like Kotec, which right. is sort of the state of the art if you're doing like LaTeX in the browser, right. which is like very fast. So, man, it's like as slow as you can be. Once it's cached in there, though, then you have the control to animate it as you want. Um, and like, I'm like, oh, it would be fun to write an animation that makes it look as if you're sort of handwriting it on the screen with some sort of stroke fail situation. Yeah, so how did you do that in a way that wasn't, you know, I mean, it was parsing LaTeX kind of... Uh, you know, it's not too bad, right? I mean, and you've got braces and you've got, you know, underscore, you know, got limits. But uh, how much of it was hard-coded or was there something super elegant that you kind of came up with? I don't do any parsing for the most part. Uh, be, well, because to, to do, I mean, it'll separate into parts based on when you're like creating the object, if you have it in multiple different strings. Uh, oh, here's an inefficient, you want an inefficient thing to us. <laughs> So let's say you, you're writing a squared plus b squared mm. equals c squared, and you want those as like five separate objects to like deal with in color right, right. about as independent objects. So you enter them as separate strings when you're like calling the command. Um, one way that it could figure out how to like know where the different component objects are inside the PDF that it's taking is to be smart about parsing LaTeX, mm-hmm. right? Which would actually be a huge effort if you like start oh, drilling the specifications. Yeah. That's why I was... <laughs> <laughs> the other way is that it it renders each of those substrings as its own PDF mm. that it never uses except to count how many because um, it converts that to an SVG. Ah. It counts how many SVG paths there are in each. So it's just counting like in the order of the substrings that you put in how it should subindex the main thing. Um, wow. So, okay. So, so is it so is it the fact that like when you do like let's say you write an integral sign right? I uh, want to use your write function to do you know integral you know lower bound to upper bound i've noticed that it draws the integral sign first then the lower bound and the upper bound is that because of the order that i'm typing it in yes it's, <laughs> oh it's, it's, it's because of the order it's because the order that <laughs> when latex turns it into a set of paths mm-hmm. whatever algorithms it's using to do that the order that it does by default for choosing the top one then the bottom or the bottom then the top that's just going to be the order that it's interpreted oh, so sometimes crazy. there'll be a mess up with if you are doing different like substrings you're like oh wait i should have put the top of the integral before the bottom or something right so if i was really going to be robust to like making it a smooth user experience for everyone then you'd like say okay we're going to roll up our sleeves and parse the latex and do this right <laughs> but when your goal is to just like make your own videos then anytime that comes you're like oh i swapped those i'll put them the other the other way around right, it's like, right. i oh. see i see yeah no yeah. so do you get um well i guess you do have a patreon i was I mean, are, are you the only one maintaining that library or is there like a bunch of people well, okay, so uh, what has emerged is the Manum community, which I... So first of all, I've been terrible. I just haven't been, like, attentive to what's going on in Manum <laughs> because my main priority is, like, learning and researching new things for videos. Sure, then sure. To, like, all of the different wow. things in the video production above the dev tools for it. So by the time I'm getting to Manum, it's almost just like I'm back to that hobbyist project, like a person building their own car in their garage where it's just... I, I could would be more attentive to pull requests and such 
I, it just ends up being the case that I'm not. Right. So people observing this were like, you know what we're going to do is we're just going to have our own basically like fork uh, that is the Manum community where they <laughs> are trying to bake it just a more robust tool. You know, like there's right, actual right. testing, there's documentation. Um, and that has a lot of people. I mean, there's at least sort of 11 who are like active contributors in some sense. Um, there's one or two main guys. So one, uh, his username is Euler tour is extremely oh, helpful. He's the one who on did the, all the documentation that's on his website. Yeah. He's great. He's was super helpful on the main. He, he's like approved to like manage pull requests and all that on the like three B one B repo. And mm -hmm. then also very active in the man community repo. Um, wow. so like very, Do we know much who he actually is. Can I follow him on Twitter? Or is he just Euler? He Maybe Twitter. he's just Euler from the dead. I don't think he's probably Euler. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean I've met him in person a number of times. Oh, right like, on. Uh, but um, so not Euler. So he, right. he uh, yeah. Well, I I can't confirm or deny that he's not the reincarnation <laughs> of Euler. Oh, but I will point. say that he, he uh, uh, looks a little bit different than the Euler who I've seen in pictures. You heard it here first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, no, and it's funny that like LaTeX seemed to be the thing that made people want to use it. And I guess I realized there just aren't a ton of good places to like illustrate it elsewhere. Absolutely. Um, although I will say, like I'm a big fan of Figma for like um, Figma. design type stuff. Do you use like Adobe Illustrator at all? No, I've never used Adobe. Um, but I guess, I mean, I've seen some of Papa Flamey's stuff he does, uh, or he, he used to play around with Adobe After Effects. Um, yeah. And yeah, that um, was pretty neat. I was wondering how he did that, uh, but I never took the time to ask. Illustrator is a tool that's, it's one of the like industry standards for designers doing anything with vector graphics. Um, mm. And then Figma, it's like a, a it, it's free when you're just an individual user, which is awesome. And it's also, wow. <laughs> as far as user experience, way better than Adobe. Um, in oh, my really? Opinion. Interesting. I'm gonna, um, you heard it here first, Figma, or maybe you've heard about it before, but new <laughs> tweets coming your way. Figma, I'm putting that in my notes right now. Uh, and so you can, please bear with us. you can do some, like uh, create some animation type things in there. It's meant, the, the typical use case is more creating static imagery, like designs and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, but right. they have actually a pretty good LaTeX plugin. And I think if you're going from there, especially if you just want to control it in terms of all the path points and that with a, a user interface rather than with a, a coding interface, right? That's yeah, much nicer. But I mean, I actually like the, I mean, I don't know how much I would, but you know, I like saying, okay, move to this, you know, or, or next to this thing. And then, you know, yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I like it. Yeah. So what, what I'll always say when it comes to, if I see people like using Manum, I'll tell you what makes me feel guilty. Um, <laughs> is if there's no, like, doing something programmatic is beneficial if you have like conditionals in some way, if you have like loops and if you have abstraction. Mm -hmm. So, which is great for math stuff. Cause sometimes you want to illustrate 20 copies of a thing, right? Well, with some like slight change on each one of them. Right. So definitely you don't want to be doing that by hand, having that programmatic in some way, or maybe you have a lot of really similar structures, but they're not exactly the same. So you can't copy paste. So you want some notion of layers of abstraction. That's all good. Um, where I'll feel guilty is if it's just, you've got some like LaTeX and they're like moving it about screen or something in a way where I think, you know, I guess After Effects costs money. So that's a <laughs> downside. But like there's a, there's a bunch of like animation tools where if all you want to do is like move stuff around and it's not leveraging anything programmatic, like use anything with a GUI, please. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I'm I agree with you. Um, I remember the first time, like, I think like when you started uh, right when we started kind of like following each other, 
um, I sent you like this animation I made. You were like, that's great. I don't know why the hell you use Manum for that, but that's great. (laughs) 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 Okay. (laughs) I I hope it. I'm sure I did come across like that because sometimes <laughs> I make people grasp, but I, I'm sorry if, if that was... Oh, no, I was totally cool with it. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, okay, the other thing that I actually... I, I almost like want to write a blog post or something just about this type of use case. So you know how you can like transform anything into anything? Mm. And in particular, like, uh, if you have some LaTeX, you transform that equation into another equation. Yeah, I have a so, sub-note question on that uh, of how you implemented that, but I'll get to that later. Great. No, I'm happy to talk about that. So that actually cuts to the origins of like kind of what I was thinking when I was making the tool in the first place, Mm. which will be worth talking about. But a thing I feel guilty about sometimes is it's so tempting when you're the creator. Let's say you have a sequence of this equation simplifies into this one, simplifies into this one. You don't want to crowd up the screen like you do like a blackboard. So it's like, oh, if I can animate one morphing into another, then... It's like it's so clean. You just have like this thing on there, and then it shifts into the other, shifts into the other, mm-hmm. which is nice. I think though, pedagogically, that's got to be worse. That's because that's what I was thinking. Is that it's some people confused. don't like, like it. I don't like it, and I made it. <laughs> like, because I, I look, I'm like, wait, what was line one again? What was line yeah, two? And I, yeah. I want to see in a single moment what the connection is. So I think the best. Like the way that those illustrations can look absolutely the best is if you're going from one line to the next and at all points you see what it has been, but one line animates into the next one. Mm. And then um, one thing that's on my to-do is to sort of step up the game of like making transform the transform function a little bit smarter with LaTeX in particular. Where what, Let's it, say you have I, an equation. I was thinking like that exact same thing is that uh, right. like, it, like if you want to take the, the power rule, right? You want to move the power down, not transform yeah. the whole thing, say. Yes. I, um, based on changes I've recently made, uh, making that happen is possible in a way that otherwise was going to be like really, Oh, interesting. Like a technical challenge. Um, but now I actually think I kind of know how I could do that in a way that would take like a day to write rather than a month to write. Mm. And I think I could, given that this seems to be how people are using it, that could be like a nice way. Um, but I, I would want to kind of Somewhere I should have like a user guide for like the do's and the don'ts. But the idea of having yeah. an equation just turn into what it um, its equivalent forms yeah. without the previous equivalent form staying on screen, um, I do think is pedagogically worse uh, and is like not really the best use case for it. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing that I was trying to, and, and, and I believe this is exactly what you were saying, is that like if I have, you know, say x squared, right, uh, equals x squared, I guess, and then I slide in, Fade in from left, if you will, DDX. Uh, mm-hmm. And, well, how do I do it on the right-hand side to visualize that? I think, it, you know, with, with the transform, if I say 2X, right, it's going to morph in this way and then just end up being 2X rather than being like, oh, okay, this, like, follows some arc to go in front mm-hmm. of it. Uh, and I don't think it's necessary that you need to have the previous line if those saying for something like that I, even then i'm gonna stick by it even then you should have the previous <laughs> line because you who's like a master of calculus sure, and knows yeah. the chain rule it's like very obvious what happens but to really you want to draw the connection in someone's brain and to let that connection be drawn you have to have both nodes for the edge to develop at the same time Fair i enough, think yeah. otherwise you're depending on working memory and like you'll quickly surpass cognitive load mm. i think no um, i see i see i see what but you're saying to your point, yeah 
at the moment, the way to like animate that kind of thing where you want to deliberately say the two should go to the two, you can do it. Right. It, but it ends up yeah. just being that you have multiple transform calls where you like exactly. pull out, you know, you like get part, get by, part text. by text. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. And basically I, I, I can think of a way that that could largely be automated. Um, and it's just a matter of whenever I have another, like sit down and, hack on the transform function time. <laughs> this is exciting. This is neat. Uh, you heard it here first. All right. Um, so about the transform thing, um, and so for the new listeners here with us, uh, I, we, we, I usually don't hog the whole stream. I usually leave the second half uh, for your questions, and I'll go through them and uh, pick out the most provocative one. No, I'm kidding. They don't have to be provocative. Um, although I think I saw, uh, scrolling down the chat, somebody asking us how we might solve the Poincaré conjecture, and I'm like, Come on now. But um, at any rate, uh, please, if you have questions as we're talking that uh, we don't get to, maybe we'll get to them, but whatever, just go ahead, uh, ask them, and uh, do our best to get to them uh, at the second half of the 30 minutes, or second half of the hour. Um, so my question to you is about the transform, right? If I want to trans, just say I have a word says LaTeX and I want to transform it to another word that says uh, apple juice. It does this thing where I can't, you know, it shuffles all the letters around and makes it look pretty. What is that? And what makes <laughs> you think of doing that? <clears throat> uh-oh. Um, Wait one second. Uh-oh. No, you're good. You're good. I can hear you. Did you lose? Just for a second. Okay. So when I was very first creating Manum, I think I was... Um, I had this feeling that when people think about visualizing math and visualizing functions in particular, they're very indexed on graphs. And especially like in high school math and even thereafter, often people think the way to think about a function is by thinking about its graph, mm -hmm. which is awesome for single variable functions. And then I found that like a lot of people seem to just have this total brick wall that they'd hit in like multivariable calculus or linear algebra or complex analysis where it's like, well, I can't visualize this function. <laughs> right? It's got like three dimensional input, three dimensional yeah. output, like the complex functions. It's like I right. would need to grab it in four dimensions. Um, and, you know, I kind of had this moment of like there's so many different ways you can visualize functions and graphs are just one aspect mm. of it. And all of the software centered around visualizing math is graphing software and it can be great there's mm -hmm. grapher built into osx desmos is one of the greatest things in the world mm -hmm. like geogebra is awesome even since the days of ti 89 calculus <laughs> that we're all like messing around with in our yeah. high school calculus classes so i when i was like writing it it was very much centered around the idea of i want to be illustrating functions as transformations i want to have you see what the input is mm. and then you see what the output is and you're connected by like things moving over time um this partly has to do with the fact that the very first video I ever made was about thinking of e to the pi i in terms of, I didn't phrase it like this at the time, but thinking of it as a homomorphism. Mm -hmm. You're thinking about um, addition as an action, multiplication as an action, and then exponentiation as a kind of meta action between them. Mm. And like, when you do that, the, like, the idea that natural exponentiation turns imaginary sliding into rotation, it's not proven. It doesn't like prove it, but it like actually makes it feel like it's what the universe right. wanted. Right. And it's, it was like something that wasn't in, you see, you see a million explanations for e to the pi i out there, but that wasn't one that was in the like common discussion. So that's what I made the first video on. Terrible video. But. I didn't know that was your first one. Was that the one where, I mean, I know you have a lot of your linear algebra ones that where you use this nice interpolation of, you know, like let's say you're doing a shearing transformation, right? You have this grid and everything goes nicely and slides right over and you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I saw it every point along the way. 
Well, I made I sort of updated it two years after the fact. So there's a video called like Eat of the Pie I via group theory that it's <laughs> it's much more about group theory rather than trying to like hide it under the um under the under the hide it under the hood. Uh-huh. Um, so anyway, with that being the backdrop of like how the tool was written, I wanted to write in a way where like whatever the objects are, anything can turn into anything. And that should just be like a very generic. Oh, that's a neat idea. You don't have to think about in the moment. So it wasn't that I deliberately was thinking, let's turn LaTeX into LaTeX. It was like, well, insofar as anything can turn into anything, these will be some of the objects. Um, As far as the like technical details on how that works, I almost guarantee it's going to be less exciting than you think it is. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But the, the short answer is like, Every object. Ex- also, I don't know if this is the like style you want for your podcast. No, this where I'm, like, is look. I would, no, no, this is this is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm watching the viewers we haven't dropped yet, so we're when, good. When I'm not a software engineer, by the way, right? It's like I'm just like a math teacher who's like trying to create his own thing and seeing what makes sense. Yeah. But um, the way that it'll work is different objects are structured hierarchically. So if you have an equation like a squared uh-huh. plus b squared equals squared, you've got the root one. And then it might have like these children that might correspond to each symbol. Or if you wanted it, it might be that they correspond to things that themselves have children. Mm-hmm. So you've got these hierarchies. Step one is to just have an algorithm that given two hierarchies, it like makes them match with each other. Mm-hmm. So that might mean things like um, if one of them has only three children node and the other one has five children node, the one with three children node, it just puts in two fillers, like two blank things that start off as points that that. Uh oh, Mike! Um, Mike, the mic went out just for a second there. My mic did. Yeah, yeah, but it was just for a second. So please bear with us here at Physics After Hours if you've enjoyed this instantiation with Grant Sanderson. Um, if you're not subscribed to him, but somehow to me, go. What are you doing, anyways? Just go subscribe to him. Um, if you are subscribed to him, but not to me, uh, I would like to take at least half of his subscribers. So. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, but yeah, by the way, apologies to the audience with anything mic related. I'm not in my usual, uh, setup and I'm just like holding my USB mic with a sketchy cord. So <laughs> bear with us. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. It's good. Okay. So um, where were we? We were on the, you, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, basically there's, there's two things. It's like you match the hierarchies of these things mm-hmm. so that, um, like the children map to the corresponding children of the different objects. And then what, what since every, like all of Okay, there, well, there's old manum and there's new manum. But in old manum, all things are just vector graphics for the most part. And okay. so it's all just determined in, with SVG paths and things like that. Mm-hmm. And basically, you just you kind of do some reasonable things to get like the points of the paths to align with the other points of another path. And then you just like interpolate. And maybe you interpolate with a little bit of an arc see, or something. See, yeah. You smooth it out over time. Um, but it's pretty much just like you've got a path defined by points. You've got another path defined by points. I see. And the relevant control points are interpolating towards each other. That's pretty neat. But if you if you like put in the right spices for like how the hierarchies get mapped to each other, you put in the right spices for how paths get put into each other mm-hmm. with a little trial and error. I found like what tends to look pretty good for like most types of objects from one thing to another um, and then kind of stuck with it. Right on. And so you were just like kind of playing around like what looks best, like just for any generic object. Yeah. So the goal was like it was not to be specific to any one type of object, but to right. be like anything to turn into anything, um, which in hindsight, if I look back pedagogically, it's very rare that you want something to turn into another thing of a different type. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every now and then it's kind of OK. Like, mm-hmm. let's say you have the equation for the area of a circle and those terms turn into the circle. Yeah. <laughs> something about that, like draws a connection between the two. 
You don't want to overdo it, though. <laughs> right, of course. Because yeah. it's usually just much better if it's like, just fade in the circle. Like, don't don't get fancy <laughs> here. <laughs> just, I, I just have the idea of just like having, you know, the LaTeX Pi symbol and then just transforming it into its infinite series. <laughs> Not being the yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think if I go and I rewrite some of the transform to be like LaTeX specific, we can make that actually... Um, like much nicer because right now if you were to freeze the video in the middle of any one of those it just looks like a bunch of gobbled exactly right? <laughs> um and it's it's nice when it's being played in real time of it's course. like ooh, such smooth the things are yeah. the things but uh there's there's room for improvement on that hey i'm here for it and i will be the beneficiary um okay so we are at halftime just about so what we're gonna do uh is take a quick break uh and we will be right back uh, answering your, not you, Grant, but your, the listeners, questions uh, about whatever the heck you want. So go ahead, stack them up, and we'll get to them. All right? And we will be right back.
We are back, and we are ready to take your questions. And uh, first thing I want to say is if you have enjoyed this installment of Physics After Hours, I know I said this once, but give us a thumbs up, give us a subscribe, and by us, I mean me. And also give Grant a subscribe. And I'm sure he has plenty of thumbs up, but go ahead, go like all of his videos, and the first one to do so will feel really good about themselves. We'll get a free license to man them. <laughs> that, uh, that is true. So go ahead, do it. Uh, first question here is from Jacob Palawa, uh, 2020. says, hey, Dylan and Grant, question for both of you. What is your absolute dream visualization to make? Even if you don't have in hand a way to visualize it, what would it be? I guess there's two different angles of that question. One is like, what's a very clear image you have in your mind that you want to put on the screen? Yeah. And the other is like, what's a thing where you're not sure what it looks like, but you would just love to know? Um, I think for me, having a good systematic way of understanding um, complex two by two matrices mm. would be... I was going to say spin. The, I was literally going to say the spin group. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, it feels so close is the thing. Because um, yeah. it feels like uh, for like unitary matrices with a little stereographic projection, you can actually kind of get a decent understanding. I don't know if yeah. it's helpful, but right. it's like an almost visualizable thing, but it's just so tantalizing. It's just like one dimension away from one <laughs> We know because of like thinking of linear algebra in real wow. number contexts, right. how helpful for intuition it can be once you have that. So that, that would be the, oh, to just be able to look at it and be like, yeah, of course, of course there's like two eigenvalues and this is what it means for one of them to be purely imaginary or something like yeah. that would be lovely. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. Uh, okay, so what about the first one? One that you have an image in your head, or do you not want to give it up uh, or, or give it away because it'll be a future, you know, future video? I I need to think hard on that. Like what? I think. Oh, I I know what that. Um, I don't know what it'll look like, but uh, uh -huh. I, I don't know. Why I haven't messed around with this yet, but I will at some point. And if it looks pretty enough, I'll make a video or something. Um, have you ever played with like tetration fractals? Or seen those? The, oh, the te yeah, uh, like the you mean like the iterated exponentiation thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you do iterated <laughs> exponentiation, and you're like on the plane, on the complex plane. You say, do you converge or not? Right. Um, great. So I think what's interesting here is that's where you're taking a to the power x, and you're iterating that function on itself, and you're looking at different seeding points a, right? Mm -hmm. But with complex numbers, there's an ambiguity with exponentiation. You know. It's, mm -hmm. Uh, this I did one of the like live lockdown lectures about this kind of thing where um, if you want to understand why like i to the power i has lots of different um, outputs, I think the healthier way to think about exponentiation once complex numbers are at play is don't think of like a variable base raised to a power. Instead, think of exp, the general e to the x exponential function with its power series and everything, mm -hmm. um, evaluated at r times x for different r. And so the mm. thing is, on the real numbers, there's a one-to-one -one relationship between the base that corresponds to and then the x, the the constant r that it corresponds to. It's just r is equal to the natural log of that base. Mm. All is good, said and done. In the complex plane, natural log is multi-valued. So it ends up being a different thing, which means the tetration fractal will look different and it will look more complete in some sense because there's a whole part of the family of exponential functions um, where you're not being exposed to how they behave under iteration on themselves when you do it the usual way, but that you would be if you're doing exp of r times x, iterating that on itself, and mm -hmm. then seeding different values. I see what you're saying. So, 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 so is a plane that you're, uh, let's say the real case, right? 
uh, is the plane that you're saying that there's a fractal in for the real case is is that like the R X plane or is it the because yeah okay yeah where R is a complex number I see oh that's neat so that, that was a very terrible <laughs> explanation of what I have in mind but maybe at, at least like a high level some people can sort of see just the idea that because exponentiation um, behaves in a more multifaceted way in the complex plane I think the usual tetration fractals must not be showing the whole picture so I just want to play around with what that full picture looks like right on you know i have a tweet where uh where i did z to z to z i forget how many powers like 27 of them and it was this big looking like a circus clown's makeup like it was it was wonderful coloring by argument but then you see all of a sudden the color shift on the real axis because of the branch cut that you have there um yes exactly yeah <laughs> give rid of that branch cut <laughs> yeah no that would be really really neat is that um i think you're dabbling into i could be wrong here, Riemann surfaces maybe is that where you kind have of. uh Related. you can I change mean, them yeah this is this is more like if you took the Riemann surface for lnx and you just unwrapped it all onto a plane oh that'd be neat said, now we're going to color that um yeah Okay. Yeah. I don't actually, I'm actually, I have a list of ideas here that, you know, but the thing about Twitter is, you know, it's about the surprise. So I don't want anybody to know what's going on in my head right now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. So, but which means also they can't expect anything cool about spin coming their way soon, but hey, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, what does this mean? Uh, Diverso Aspetto asks a question. Hey Grant, do you have a geometric N? What is that? I don't know. I, I, you I don't, don't need know. to answer it if we don't know. Okay, anyways, moving on. Darth Calculus asks, I've been trying to find a visualization for a, quote, straight line path uh, on a two-hold torus. Um, mm. A first-person view of following a geodesic. Where can I find one? I could make one for you. Um, that'd be neat. Yeah, the hard thing about that is that, like, usually when you have the hyperbolic metric on some sort of genus two surface, mm -hmm. right, then once we embed the genus two surface in 3D space by drawing a two hole donut, the it doesn't have the same metric. Yeah. So, like, the geodesics it's is not like, obvious. Why is that a straight line? Yeah, exactly. So, I feel like the key to that is probably something like just represent the genus two surface in a totally different way. Um, in the same way that sometimes when you're drawing things on a torus, it's like just unwrap it and like view it as a square and everything right. becomes much easier to see. Like or like having a line move through. Whatever it's called. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's probably the right way to like the right way to understand geodesics on a, a genus two surface. Because I've just never seen it where you like see the two hole donut and you're like, ah, of course, that's what this means. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I mean you could solve it. Calculus variations. No problem, but it's visualizing is a whole different business. Uh, okay, a question here from Diverso Espero asking, uh, do you have a geometric intuition for what the Einstein tensor represents? Uh, Einstein tensor. Maybe they mean the stress energy tensor, the Einstein curvature tensor. I'm going to guess they're talking about general relativity. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Lucas VB oh. has a great animation on this. Oh, great. Point to him. Yeah, Lucas VB. Uh, I'm sure all of you have seen at least one of his animations. He's like the guy on... Without Wikipedia. knowing it. Yeah, exactly. He's he's also been on this podcast. He's such that a... That moment when you realize that all of Wikipedia's math animations were created by one <laughs> ingenious man. Yeah. You know, he originally used to do it in PHP. And I... I well... I honestly, I can't talk when it comes to doing things in a crazy way. So like, 
power to him if that's what works and makes the beautiful things he made. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, okay, so uh, here's a neat one. I actually thought about this. Um, a question from Sketch Me Not. Uh, do you have a geometric intuition for the uh, three-dimensional Levi-Civita uh, tensor? So the Epsilon IJK uh, kind of situation. Mm. Um, do I? Yeah, I, do I guess. I mean, not. I was thinking... I was thinking about this in a way where I was trying to come up with a way to make, I, I, I didn't even know if pedagogy was even in the question. I just thought it'd be cool to come up with a neat new way to visualize how to take a determinant and mm. thought about like connecting all the lines that we do, you know, you, I, this, and you draw that X and whatever. Um, and thinking like, okay, if I can unravel those lines and somehow connect them like on a three dimensional uh, or two-dimensional surface, I thought that would just be a cool new way to visualize a cross product. Like you have rules, well, this means you multiply those. But uh, I didn't think about it more than 20 minutes, so I guess I got nowhere. I, I can't say I've thought about Yeah, I've always just viewed that the same way as I view like the, um, uh, oh God, what do you call it? The Dirac? Oh, no. the Kronecker Delta thing? Kronecker Delta, Jesus, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where it's just like a notational. Yeah, it's a notation. Although that's that's a bad answer to this, probably. Like, it's like a I cube. Wonder... It, it's definitely like a cube, but it's not so much of a geometric intuition because it's a three by three by three matrix. So it's you got cube. I th I think these are the kind of questions where there exist good answers, but that take like you want you want it answered in a drawing, not in like an ad hoc conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I'll think on that though. Give us a more satisfying answer. <laughs> Okay, so Clara saying, uh, love this series. Thank you very much. Or maybe she's talking about yours. I don't know. Um, but it's yours. Oh, right on. Physics After Hours, you heard it here first. Um, okay, uh, somebody here commending Euler Tor. Uh, so here's an open-ended question from Tadius Kearney asking, how do you visualize a tensor? There's very open-ended, oh. yeah. Honestly, uh I feel like I sort of learned about tensors in two very different ways. Um, one of them was like, if you're a math major in like a, um, you know, you're just learning about like modern differential geometry or something like that. Mm. And uh, that sort of. It, Losing the like mic. Physics students. Are, oh, we lost the mic there. Just a second. Oh, sorry. I knew this was going to happen. I come here with poor equipment. You know, to be honest, I, it's I, really not that bad. Production. Like okay. one or two hiccups. That's pretty good. All right. So um, tensors. Let me just, I just feel like I don't actually have what I feel like is a satisfying answer to that. Certainly in a way that is like good to just talk and not like wave your hand. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I, I don't have one either. I mean, about visualizing, like what part of the tensor are you visualizing exactly? Like, are you visualizing how it's, you know, like a four index tensor, like a five by five by five, you know, <laughs> matrix. I, I don't think that's what people mean, right? Because I no? think if someone says like, how, do, how are you visualizing a tensor? And you're like, oh, it's like a matrix, but instead of living in a square, it lives in a cube. Mm -hmm. I think what they want is like in the same way that matrices, you can interpret with this very nice sort of, mm. there's a number of ways to interpret, either as a linear operator or mm. as like a quadratic form or something. Mm. And there's like this, this geometric meaning to the columns and the rows. It's like, you're thinking of columns as vectors. You're right. thinking of rows as co-vectors. And in that way, like the two by two matrix, it, um, it makes sense how like one of the dimensions serves one role, one of them serves another. Right. What you want is an understanding of tensors where if you have like, oh, columns are co-vectors, rows are like vectors. And then 
the the third direction is like also a co-vector like how to think about that in a geometric way it's not just like how do i put the numbers together in my head because i think everyone's got that it's more like when you're looking at a stress tensor um what 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 is the way that you're supposed to read those and turn it into Mm. kind of visual which i i I have like extremely loose thoughts in that direction interesting uh, which is but it's not definitely not something i'm like going to be able to articulate without like waving my hands a bunch and it's ill-formed enough that i just think it's not going to be a good answer but i think that's, i do think that's the spirit of the question when people ask fair enough so when i see like explanations online it's like a tensor it's just like a matrix but there's other directions <laughs> no that like yeah like yes yes thank you, you write it down. <laughs> but what you want is like a coordinate free answer to it yes absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah the the most helpful answer is it's something that transforms like a tensor Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. I don't know e- even the beginnings of the answer to this question from uh, Cameron uh, Late, I believe. Uh, it says, super random question. Uh, do you guys have an intuitive understanding of the TSNE, the T distributed stochastic neighbor embedding? No. No. I don't. Me either. I've, I've never I heard of it. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, uh, Cameron. Uh, okay. <laughs> Um, so a question here from, uh, Omkar Watt says, while transform animation, does Manum break? Okay. So does Manum break the path into points and then move each point from start to end? Uh, so when you were talking, yeah, I think you already talked about kind of how it worked. Yeah. I feel like if people are familiar with vector graphics, like paths are defined in terms of control points. Um, and then it, uh, it makes sure they're all the same type of, Usually you like have a spline that's a bunch of maybe cubic Beziers or a bunch of quadratic Beziers. You make sure the spline is all of the same type in each case, and then control points move to control points. But for people unfamiliar with vector graphics who think you're like rasterizing it and breaking into a bunch of individual mm. points or something, like that's not certainly not what it's doing. I see. Uh, so you say Bezier? Is that I say Bezier, and I'm almost <laughs> certain that you're right. <laughs> because <laughs> i've actually never said the word out loud i just read it bezier well yeah the, the beziest curve of them all is the <laughs> yes no, the, the quadratics are bezier curves the cubics are bezier curves <laughs> and then the the seldom used quartic the beziest curve <laughs> that is uh high quality um uh, content you all just got delivered to you right there okay a question from uh subayu bakchi hey grant uh how closely do you follow the three blue one brown subreddit also uh what do you think of the channel primer i guess it's the name of the channel <laughs> uh which also puts out videos themed after manum style animations i've actually i don't know what primer is oh no you should check him out he's great okay. um so to the first question <laughs> I, I do I do look at the three blue and brown subreddit. The thing I look at the most is like all the video suggestions. I just tell people like put it on this thread. So I'll like paw, paw through that now and then to just be like, what are people asking for? Right. And that's where I look. I don't look at YouTube comments or emails or things. Um, and then I'll like scroll through. I, I should engage more. Um, but so it's non-zero. But sometimes if I'm just in the thick of like working on something, I just don't engage with the internet super much. For Primer, though, um, mm-hmm. fun fact, the guy who runs Primer used to be my boss. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we, we both worked together at wow. Khan Academy. 
and you know so i at some point sort of left to just do the three blue and brown thing right and i couldn't help but notice that you know it's just uh maybe a year after that he's looking over he's like i don't know that seems nice <laughs> and <it> started primer <laughs> right on so how was working at Khan academy i'm curious about that loved it yeah, yeah. no it's just like uh, it was a wonderful collection of people who share a sense of um just wanting to improve the world's education through technology um so like just a super great engineering team um, I was on the content team and uh, just a lot of fun folks there. And uh, was that back was... when like all do they still do like the videos where it's all just the handwritten kind of style? Yeah. OK. Which I stand behind. And so like I made a bunch of multivariable calc videos that were in that style. Quite often I'd have like um, a grapher visualization on the left half of the screen where you have like some uh -huh. surface or something. Right. And I'd like add some software to draw on top of it to have arrows and whatnot. And then on the right, just like Photoshop, I'd just be drawing it out like a one-on-one -on -one tutorial, um, which I think is a little bit more of an honest reflection of doing math, where it's like you're writing it out by hand, it's a little bit slower, um, if you talk out loud for what you're doing, and you like make mistakes and erase those mistakes, just all of that, it kind of, the whole vibe of it is warts and all, this is what solving these problems looks like. Right, yeah, no, uh, I agree. Uh, I definitely am a big fan of Khan Academy's format, um, and uh, I thought about kind of doing something like that i think a couple of years ago but uh it required an investment when i was like an undergrad or just becoming a graduate that i you know didn't have the money to put in for the <laughs> tablet and things like that i think it's also hard to start a con style channel now because now yeah it's it's like so easy to do and also so they just have such a foothold where it's like this super extensive library that someone would kind of know to search for it there um and it's the thing is, the the things that make it hard aren't what people think it is. Like, Sal is an unusually good explainer of things. And yeah. it's not just that, oh, he adopted this style or, like, knew a bunch of stuff. Like, he's got a very unparalleled empathy with what it's like not to understand something mixed with strong, deep intuition for the thing itself. Mm -hmm. um, and I think they had a hard time finding other content creators to, like, kind of fill that gap. And as it stands now, the vast majority of Khan Academy videos are still just Sal Khan, despite being CEO of like a reasonably sized organization. Oh, I didn't know. Like, that was my next question. Does he this? still make videos? Yeah. Yeah. It still, still pumps them out. Wow. You know, it's like, that's great. Which yeah. is honestly the, a good use of his time because like that's the main asset of Khan Academy, even though they have like a great exercise platform mm -hmm. products and all that. Mm. Let's be honest. The main asset is like Sal's Breakdown. charisma and yeah. explanatory ability. Right on. So inside Khan Academy, you heard it here first, Physics After Hours. Um, so, oh, question, Matt Henderson. Uh, this is the guy on Twitter you were like, follow this man. Uh, yeah, this is the guy that makes us all feel bad about ourselves. Yeah. Like, <laughs> exactly. Like one day he just went off. We get it. You have an insane like knowledge of shaders and are creating things so beautiful that I just want them to exist in my real life. Uh, yeah, no, he, no, he's great. Like, yeah. I... I Anything he makes. I almost just want to like have a bunch of frames around my room of like moving visuals. That's like nothing but what he tweets. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, he is just so talented. It's so crazy because like if you look at his older tweets, I guess he was just like didn't really he just had an idea, didn't put much time into it. And so like they were like mostly in Mathematica and just, you know, kind of you could tell like you could count the frame rate. And then like one day he just like just was like, no, nope, you know what? Screw this. I'm putting a little bit more time into it. And he just made the most beautiful things I'd ever seen in my entire life. And he never stopped. He's clearly extremely good. And um, yeah. 
Okay. It's so, been inspirational though, because I've like, yeah. it was only this year that I actually properly started learning about shaders and haven't really incorporated into my work that much yet, but it like gave me a better appreciation for all that he does. Absolutely. Um, so, um, his question, uh, the Matt Henderson is, uh, Grant, you have videos aimed at different audiences, like people doing high school mats, uh, to more advanced stuff. What is your favorite type of audience to engage with? Oh man. Well, so what I'll say sometimes for like my goal, I, I can almost never achieve it, but what is the best kind of video is when it is understandable to like a smart ninth grader who's um, curious about the stuff, mm -hmm. but it still offers some kind of aha moment to like a grad student. Wow. And yeah. the only video I can think of where I, I would actually say, I think that one might've actually did it. And it's not because of anything I contributed. It's just because it was an awesome piece of math that I chose to highlight <laughs> was about the inscribed rectangle problem. Oh, and like how yeah. many strips can prove that because I, and the reason I said is I know for a fact there's like, sometimes I'll like visit schools or something that I've had like ninth graders say that they really enjoyed that. And I think in talking to them, they That's actually amazing. understood the key idea that was going on. Yeah. Um, and then I've also talked to like mathematicians who, well, many mathematicians are familiar with that proof just because it's, uh, at least in that like field kind of famous, but you know, like there's so many different subfields of math that if you don't work in like, um, geometry, you might not have seen all of the standard things that also just like appreciated and also, even if you know the proof, like seeing it geometrically realized, where often it's phrased like, in principle, there exists such and such surface. You're like, but what does it look like? Right, and right. then you make it and you're like, oh, that's what it looks like. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> like there's something additive about actually instantiating what's otherwise a purely abstract argument. Yeah. But anyway, so those are the ones I most delight in. I can never find that topic, though, but it's like a yeah, like a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow to search for. Well, uh there's one, I don't know if this has geometric intuition, but it's something uh, that, like, I think I got this from Numberphile, uh, uh, the Kolatz conjecture. It's something, you know, a fifth grader, even probably, you know, a clever, you know, fourth grader would understand uh, if you understand integers. And then you say, well, does this, you know, does everything go to one? Um, but that's it. We don't know. You could use bigger and bigger numbers, but and how would you prove it? And the fact that you know you have these big name mathematicians out there, you know, Erdish uh, uh, and uh, I don't know who else talking about how difficult this problem is to solve makes brings I feel like a, a a human element to what are otherwise revered as these geniuses, you know, solving the world's toughest problems that is uh, makes people curious and also feel good about themselves. <laughs> Yeah, so those those are great when you have, and prime numbers are a good example of this, where you can have questions that um, are understandable and yet they're still at the forefront of knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think there's another kind of nugget that's a little bit harder to search for sometimes, which is to not just present like what's an unknown or talk like about the math, but to actually have a specific aha moment. Because mm. um, like a mathematician, if there's like a video about the Colette's conjecture and you're like a grad student or something, it's going to be hard for that to actually be something that leaves you you'd right. like, yeah, and I know about the Colas conjecture. I'm intrigued by it. Yeah, great. Right. But it's, it's hard to have something where there's an idea in there that they come away like, wow, that was clever. So to find something that's not just talking about the math, but that is an instance of math, of cleverness, of like solving a problem with a, a new perspective that itself is both appreciated at like a higher level and younger level. Those are just, those are the gold nuggets. Were you the one which who is did a that video to on... Matt Henderson's question. Yeah, sorry. We, uh... it's like, what audience? Yeah. I like all the audiences. Right, sorry. right. 
No, uh, were you the one who did the video about the uh, there was this a uh, this Math Olympics question uh, that like only like two people got right or maybe nobody got right. It stumped like Terrence Tao was the one that like required like this slight shift in your thinking. I can't remember the problem, but I, I think uh, there's a fifty percent chance that I'm. So there's a great number file video um, about a very hard IMO problem yeah. that was one that like I think Terry T Tao in like his year and such. Oh God, I'm forgetting the presenter on that one. It's actually one of the best number file videos, that particular one, because uh -huh. it's a clever idea that goes into it, or like you draw parabolas in this right, right way. That's Yeah, that's what um, I'm thinking about. I did an IMO problem about like a windmill, a windmill problem. Oh, I, don't I don't know if that, that one, rings no. any bells. Yeah, oh. no, I guess there was the other one then. Uh, yeah. But hey, check out Grant's windmill problem. I did like the, the or I, I thought it was neat the the Euler sum with uh one over r squared laws i thought that was neat oh yeah that was that was a clever proof that was a fun little trajectory of how that proof came together because it was like there was this russian mathematician who had some ideas this norwegian mathematician had some ideas and then johan westlund who sort of like put them together in this nice paper and then um someone named ben hombrecht who was the one that like collaborated with me on that video who like found it and uh helped put it all together and it's just like Sometimes things culminate into yeah. just a really nice distillation of a bunch of different uh, different smart people bringing it together. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so um, all right, so we've got a few more minutes here. Uh, another question, uh, Subayu asking, basically, what's your modus operandi for figuring out what your next video is going to be? Oh, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. um, so. I, like I said, I do look at what people request. That's not the highest order bit, though. I think the highest order bits are like, if I'm really excited about something. Like right now, I've just been reading a bunch about error correction codes, and I'm like, man, this is clever. I want to make a video about it, right? So it's just like raw internal excitement. And then there's like, if I think it's um, a perspective about a topic that others that doesn't seem to be out there as much in some way, those those facets will get me like really going and like wanting to put it out. Um, which is sometimes a bit of a problem because uh, if like I do have a serious problem where there's content that I'll make and then there's like follow ons to it. And I promise that I'll make a follow on to it, which I will. Everything I've <laughs> promised that I would make a thing on will someday happen. Yes. Like the differential equation series will be like carried out and any probability things that I've said and fo that follow up to the Riemann uh, Zeta function video. All the things I've ever promised will eventually happen, but all in due time. Because sometimes <laughs> I just like get excited by something in the interim. And I think what yeah. makes people resonate most with the topic, it like the audience can tell if you actually care about it in mm -hmm. that moment. And I think that I think that matters. So for any sort of person who's writing things or making videos or doing content creation of any kind, if it feels like, well, it's just another day in the office, got to like slog through this one. Mm -hmm. um, there's some kind of work where that's OK. Software engineering, mm -hmm. it's OK to do that because like no one really <laughs> kind of no one cares if you cared about your code. Right. But for creative work, um, it, it just really shows if you are in love with it in the moment when you make it. Right on. You heard that here first. Uh, that's a quote. You know, you'll put that against a nice, like, scenery uh, <laughs> and uh, put, like, Grant's face, like, faded into the background as well. Um, okay, so another one here by Ricky Rousset asking, uh, uh, do you think that interactivity has a place in explanation slash exploration or do you think that'll always be dwarfed by thoughtful well-presented explanation that's a great <clears throat> question because it kind of has a premise that i largely agree with so 
interactivity is awesome in some ways, right? Like clearly mm -hmm. if you have a playground and you're in a curious mindset and you can make hypotheses and test those hypotheses in the playground, uh, it can be an extremely powerful force. Um, however, I've seen just a ton of interactive explanations that, and then uh, they take a ton of time. So the people who make them like pour months and months into like an interactive explainer, um, that sometimes fall a little bit flat from certainly from like the expectations of the creator. Cause I'll like to talk to them. But, uh, I think what can sometimes happen is if you make it too much of a sandbox, people will go through and they're like not entirely sure what they're supposed to do with it. Mm. Um, if you make it something where it's a heavily guided, like walkthrough, um, then sometimes it's basically like an article, but just with slightly better art that, uh, a small percentage of the people will play with and they'll have a better experience for it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people, they'll just like do the one default thing and be like, Oh, okay. And it's, it's exactly as, well, not exactly as effective as a video. Yeah. It's more effective than a video because you're touching it. So you're maybe a little bit more like sure. connecting your, um, kinesthetic movements with a visual vibe, which probably helps with memory, but it's not the, uh, hypothesis testing playground utopia that you might imagine when you're thinking about good interactive learning. Um, and so your and so, your position on I'm just I can't not ask this on flipped classroom styles. Oh well, yeah, I think. Well, tell you what, let, let me. Yeah, go ahead. Finish your. I think that's situation. an orthogonal vector. I think flipped classroom is orthogonal to inter, interactive versus. Um, I'll just call it narrative, right? Sure, yeah. You have something that's totally narratively driven, which is like a really good essay. Something that's totally interactive, where someone can play with it. Mm -hmm. And I tend to think what matters more is the good narrative part, and. If you then once you've inspired someone to be curious, if you offer that interactivity, that's like great. But um, the interactivity won't carry the burden. You you can lead the horse to water, but they won't drink. Sure. On the flipped classroom model, I'm wholly behind it. I think the right. I think it's kind of an absurd thing where we have um, teachers as lecturers effectively reinventing the wheel a million times by giving like the same algebra one lecture. Um, like literally millions of times if you like do it across like all the different classrooms and all the different years of a teacher's career and things like that. Right. And uh, what teachers actually enjoy is working with students and like having that personal connection with them. Mm -hmm. So I think if we start to view explanation as a commodity where what you really want is for a particular topic, there's just a handful of the best explanations online when someone needs it explained to them, mm. that's where they go to, whether mm. that's for homework, whether that's in the middle of a class, but that the time in class has been actually doing things. And every time and then you'll like, if you're doing a project, you might come into a roadblock where you need to understand a topic. Um, you know, you're, you're starting to write a game or something in like high school. It's like a computer game. And then it goes, Oh, I really need to understand trig functions to get this to work. And because you have that need, then you have a place to turn to for your explanations. Maybe it's as homework, maybe it's in the class, but the idea is that like explanation has been outsourced to the internet. So you don't have to wait until there's a lecture on trigonometry being given to you. And mm -hmm. also it doesn't have to be the case that lectures on trigonometry are given to students who have no motive to learn about trigonometry in that moment. <laughs> and instead it's like the explanation should be given when someone actually wants it. And it should right. be the best, it should be the best trig explanation in the world because we have the technology to do that rather than having it be like the 500,000th best because <laughs> um, that's just how many are happening. Wow, I did not know you were such a deep thinker on pedagogy. It's what I do, man. I know, but I mean, like, I just, <laughs> I just didn't think that you, I mean, because like these things were all making so much. I'm like, wow, that's so insightful. Holy crap! And like, uh, I, I know is what you do. I just, I don't know.
Sure. No, no, that's well. I mean, I see the result. Eh, fair enough. Not there, are, the there are a lot of educational YouTubers that don't actually think about pedagogy that much, because a lot of educate. No, I won't badmouth anyone. No one's <laughs> worth badmouthing. <laughs> Sorry. We got the three blue and brown. They were trying to start beef on stream. Let's go. <laughs> Everyone's. What am I saying? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I will say this. Um, my take on flipped classrooms is that I mean the data is unignorable uh, i think anybody who cares about students learning should back it which i do uh except all i'm saying is that my experience and i'm not saying because my professor was great i just didn't actually like it um but i so, understand i'm an outlier there no no that, so this is a very important point which is that uh for the teacher it's a different task and it's a different skill set uh -huh. and i think uh it's hard to do right the first time but this goes for any kind of teaching even if it's in a traditional model, if you talk to someone who's done like high school teaching and you ask like how their first and second year were every single one of them, every one of them will tell you that it was hell. And they probably like did, uh, did a bad job for their students because they were just sure. getting their bearings because it's, it's a hard job where you're learning like a new skill set. So I think if you immediately turn on the switch of flipping it, I've, I also had flipped classes in college that I didn't like because I think they were done poorly. Mm. Um, but I don't think the fact that the first instances of it or that there exists some that are done poorly is an indication that as a model on the whole, like it's flawed. Well, I um, think mine was actually done so well is that like we had like this room dedicated to it. And I w this is my physics one course. And I didn't know any physics at the time. Uh, and it was I went there. And although I will say this, and I think perhaps I overlooked this when I look back on it, is it was a summer course. So it moved extremely fast. So mm -hmm. perhaps uh, I was a bit, you know, jaded in that sense, or not jaded, but one over jaded, whatever that is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one over jaded. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's go ahead and do uh, one, one last question from the new up and coming YouTube channel, VCubingX. All right. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. So he says, uh, what does Grant see as the future uh, of his channel is there some goal he wants to achieve with this platform or does he want to keep making videos or whatever that's a great question i mean mostly the answer is pretty simplistic where uh i want to be in a position where if i just fall in love with a topic then i can make things on it that like help others do the same right. and it's like as simple and pure as that um i think uh i would I would like to experiment a little bit more with things that have a little bit like a course structure to them that's not piecemeal, piecemeal things. Mm. But And mm. I don't know if the right place to do that is actually my channel. I actually think the right place to do that would be like a different channel. Interesting. And maybe 3 Blue and Brown should just always be about like, here's a nice visualization of a single standalone topic. So were your linear um, algebra like things like a test of those waters? Kind of, I guess. Yeah. So something like that. But... So, the, you know, what makes the linear algebra series very incomplete is um, it doesn't have uh, much description of application in it um, mm. when that's one of the biggest motives for learning in linear algebra. Mm. It doesn't have any homework or practice when mm. that's like the way that you actually learn things. Um, and, you know, it doesn't really have any like problem practice walkthroughs on there in any mm. way. Uh, so it, it serves saying. a function that I think is valuable, which is, you know, it providing core intuitions to aid with whatever the other like learning that you're doing. Um, mm -hmm. But it's worth being very honest. Like everyone should be honest with themselves watching that series. Like it's not the complete 
sandwich by any means. Mm-hmm. Like, hopefully it's just like a crucial spice that makes the rest of the sandwich taste good instead of tasting dry. <laughs> but like the meat sits somewhere else. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, so yeah. Uh, sorry. I didn't get to a lot of people's questions. I wasn't expecting this many viewers. Um, I also talk too much, so I think that's on me. No, but I mean, but nobody has a problem with it because, you know, your voice is your voice. And also you are awesome to, you know, you have awesome stuff to say about pedagogy. And um, people, I feel like, just want to pick inside your brain a little bit. And so I just kind of, you know, let it go. Uh, I don't want to be like, hey, Grant, shut the hell up. Uh, We got to get moved. (laughs) (laughs) But okay. Uh, But thanks to you again. Um, I've. I feel like we could do a whole other segment if I have you on again sometime in the future. We can get to the next half of these questions. Um, so uh, maybe we'll do that. We'll see. Um, but uh just want to thank you for coming on, uh, taking your time to uh, during this weird situation, this COVID-19 uh, um, thing. <laughs> I was wondering what noun you're gonna go for. Pandemic, <laughs> catastrophe, catastrophe, calamity. My words thing. are running out. <laughs> this, this whole thing. Uh, just want to thank you. Uh, it's been awesome, uh, and I'd love to have you on again. Yeah, no, honestly, I'd love to be on again. Uh, it's it's fun to chat with you about this stuff, and like to your audience, very thoughtful questions. Those were fun. I would right I would do a whole hour of nothing but those. Yeah. So next time I'll stop the blabber, and um, we'll get to those. All right. So till next time, remember, stay in urgent.